Welcome. You are listening to another episode of Assurance in Action, the podcast that covers key assurance topics brought to you by Intertech. My name is Jessica D'Amico, and joining me today on Global Accessibility Awareness Day is Rhiannon Parker, COO of Intertech Crystal, and Josh Wintersgill, founder of AbleMove. Today, they will talk about all things accessible travel. Rhiannon, did you want to introduce yourself and a few things Intertech Crystal is working on in the accessibility space? Yes, thank you so much for having us today. Um, as you said, I sit as uh, COO of Intertech Crystal. Um, we specialize in travel risk management, and um, I think we've just been on a journey as, you know, in regard to what is travel risk. Um, and uh, so there have been a couple of things that have come up over the last year, um, some work that we're doing that we're actually very proud of. Um, we've just recently been welcomed into the Valuable 500. Um, so the Valuable 500 is a community of 500 CEOs committed to putting disability inclusion on their corporate agendas. Um, and so for us, really what that means is looking into all aspects of travel and um, how to make it more inclusive and accessible and safe for everyone. So along this journey, we've sought out a number of you know, strategic partners and, and people with lived experience and expertise to um, help us understand and, and gain more perspective on what um, accessible travel consists of. Um, and so Josh is, is definitely one of those people. So really excited to just, you know, kind of talk, like you said, talk all things accessible travel today. Thanks. Uh, Josh, did you want to talk a little bit about yourself and AbleMove? Hi, everyone. It's Josh Winterskill here from AbleMove. Absolutely delighted to be part of the call today with Rhiannon talking about everything accessible travel. Uh, I've got my own business, AbleMove. We specialize in providing wheelchair users specialist products to kind of help them travel and navigate the world. It's basically is used by wheelchair users to help them transfer on and off aircraft. And it was a product that was designed from my own lived experience of traveling by air with my physical disability. And because it's deteriorated over the years, um, it's become increasingly difficult. And not only does air travel, um, or not only has air travel become difficult for me, but actually accessing other types of modes of transport and accommodation when traveling has become particularly difficult. And I remember a couple of years ago when I was working for a large corporate organization, actually trying to arrange um, accommodation and, uh, and a trip by air you know, within the business was extremely difficult, not only just to get approved internally within the business, but to actually find accommodation that was suitable um, and the business has kind of um, evolved over the years and we, we're developing more exciting new products, both from a physical side of things, but also from a technology uh, aspect as well, um, which nicely leads on to maybe what we're going to be talking about uh, later on in this podcast. So that kind of gives people a little bit of a background about what we do and why I'm here today. Thanks, Josh. Um, I just wanted to dig deeper into travel and kind of the granular aspects of travel accessibility, if either of you guys could speak to that. Yeah, sure. So I'm, you know, from a, I have a physical disability um, and, you know, the requirements that I have are different to obviously other individuals that may have a physical disability or a hidden or visual or disability. Um, but when we start looking at kind of being able to, you know, book a, a, a holiday package, for instance, one might have to 
find out what transport they're going to use to get from their home to the airport. They then might have to plan how they're going to you know, book a hotel. Is it going to be accessible? What's the environment within the area where they're looking to travel and stay? Is that going to be accessible for them? Um, it's you know you're going to be looking at transport the other end uh, then you're going to be looking at activities within the area that you're going and what you can actually do with your uh, with your uh, needs in that area so there's lots of different things that you have to think about and actually when you're trying to make inquiries to understand whether or not something's going to work for you it can be extremely difficult and time consuming and we value our time so much more in society now and often you know we see people then going to tour operators and tour operators may have you know lots of fantastic areas to stay but they may not actually cater for your specific needs and therefore we then see tour operators that specialize in in providing disabled holidays for instance and often they can be very very expensive and actually what we want to be able to do is kind of en enable people to travel like everybody else very very easily using technology that everybody else uses like your airbnb um, like your Expedia, etc. That's very, very quick and efficient. You put your date, where do you want to go? Your hotel's booked, your flight's booked, your transport's booked, you can hire a taxi, you can get on a train. Um, and it's just so easy. But unfortunately, for people that actually require additional access needs, it doesn't work like that. And I'm just interested to see how we can kind of improve this area of the full end-to-end -end journey for people to not only make it more seamless and enjoyable but actually to make people more independent so that they can arrange travel for themselves so I think that might be a nice segue over to Rhiannon in terms of how you've got yourself involved in this space and um, you know what what can we do with Intertech to kind of try and improve some of these these challenges or change the way in which the industry operates for accessible travel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, <laughs> I just need to, I guess, start my conversation with the caveat that I, I'm a risk nerd, right? So everything that that we look at and we discuss in this space, it, it tends to be through, through the lens of risk management. Um, and, you know, as we've dug further and further into this space, we've really seen the degree to which this industry need, needs change and, and quite badly. Um, so we see, for example, we see destinations investing heavily in marketing, you know, so promoting the destination, showing all of the beautiful things that it has to offer. Um, but from a risk perspective, we see, um, you know, incidents occurring at the airport, you know, at, you know, where they're leaving from um, on the aircraft that basically ruin the experience and erode trust. Um, from the beginning. So it, it's almost as though all of that hard work that the destinations have put in place to promote and to, um, I guess, gain that business, um, there's risk in that. Um, as we follow the journey of the traveler, you know, from that process, from, you know, from the airport, uh, ground transportation to the hotel, we see countless examples of, um, you know, hotels, advertising themselves or representing themselves as accessible and, and the devastation that comes along with, you know, being in a foreign country or being a part of a school trip um, and, you know, an arriving in destination only to find out it, it's not. So um, these things really matter to people. And um, yeah, definitely there's some work to be done. 
Um, when we speak to kind of the different aspects of risk that we manage, one, one thing that we hear all the time is, oh, don't worry, we comply with the local regulations or, you know, we comply with this, that or the other thing. Um, and, you know, whether it's we're talking about food hygiene or security or, you know, safety or water quality, potable water quality, um, that should be regarded as the absolute bare minimum to keep you out of jail or to keep you operational. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to dig into that a bit more. Do you see that too, where it's like, you know, ADA compliance or, you know, different types of compliance around accessibility? Um, people, you know, just saying, oh, don't worry, we comply with that. Um, and is that enough? And, and where do we go from there? I, I Again, it's a, it's a really hard one to kind of to, to answer because depending on where you are in the world, um, people do things differently right so you know regulations are different I think there is a core framework where there there is a base of things that are that are the same um, however you know you find if I give you an example for instance in the US um, it's mandatory for US for instance um, if you're somebody like myself that you know needs support getting on off an aircraft you're you're supposed to have an individual safety briefing by a cabin crew. Now that's something I've never had in Europe. Um, and when you then knuckle down to customer experience and the dip, the ways in which um, services operate in different continents, whilst they're whilst they're different, it actually has a an impact on customer service. And actually, what we want to be able to do is ensure that the service that you get is the same no matter where you are that's delivered to the same standard and unfortunately in a lot of cases that that isn't that isn't happening um and i think when it does come to the the compliance and the regulations they all vary so much and also you've then got the issue that whilst whilst organizations try to achieve the bare minimum uh, they're, they're, you know, we have to recognise that organisations do go above and beyond and like to try and push the boundaries, which does raise, you know, the barrier for accessibility in terms of service provisioning and, you know, customer satisfaction. Um, but ultimately, I think one of the biggest challenges we have is the cultural challenges when it comes to improving some of this stuff, uh, because what one culture, you know, uh, attitude towards disability and accessibility can be completely different to another and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have to kind of create some consistency around accessible travel for people um, so that there's kind of the educational piece and understanding different cultures then you have the the regulatory frameworks and trying to ensure that you know those services are consistent everywhere um, and it's I think it's managing those two and then you've got your other element uh, which is the risk side of things Rhiannon and actually you know, how can we create something that is more consistent across the globe when it comes to managing risk, perhaps, for accessible travel for people? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think, you know, some of the conversations that we've had in the past is also, you know, around the, I guess, the burden of travel, right? And, and I guess the disparity be between the preparation and the process um, you know, for persons with disability, all of the, the kit and things. Um, so I, I'm just interested in, I think that's something that I've learned a lot about. Um, would you, would you be open to talking about some of that stuff that we were talking about with like hoists and, um, kind of all of the equipment and the process that you go through 
in in I guess sourcing that um, in destination. Um, yeah, I mean it's that, yeah. No, it's 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 a really interesting one, and 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 people don't people don't realize what you have to do to travel in or in, in order unless you know someone that does it or you know you're 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 educated to understand what somebody like myself might have to go through to travel so for instance um i have a powered chair uh i would take a hoist which is a is a is a mechanical piece of equipment that helps lift me from my chair to to the bed for instance when i'm doing my personal care then i might have to take a shower chair so i can go to the toilet when i'm away and also access the shower um, and there's a whole host of kind of issues that just come within those three elements that you have to think about to travel. So, for instance, my chair, the weight, the size, is it going to fit the mode of transport that I'm going to be using? How am I going to get it on and off the aircraft? Will it be will it be damaged? Then you've got the issue of, you know, transporting that equipment with you to through the airport. You might be traveling to an airport on a train. And you might be, you know, taking your hoist with you and your shower chair and all of this kind of needs coordinating. And then what happens at the other end? Um, then you've then got to look at maybe um, the hotel that you're staying at. Is the toilet the right height for my shower chair? Um, is my hoist going to get under the bed so that I can get onto the bed? Um, and it's very common to find hotels don't actually have the right style of bed that will allow hoists to go under them. And all of all of these things you have to think about. Um, and it really just is a pain in the backside. Um, and what often a lot of people do is they will actually look for equipment that they can hire in a in in the country or the region in which they're traveling to. So actually, if you need to hire a shower chair or a hoist, you can then go and hire it and it can be delivered to your hotel. But the problem is that person is then having to be charged extra to hire that equipment at the other end because of all the logistical challenges of getting it from A to B. And so actually when you travel um, with a disability, you have much higher costs involved. So for instance, I would need to travel with a carer. I'd then have to potentially either take my own equipment, um, which is free um, to get on board aircraft. You can take up to two pieces of medical equipment free. Um, but then you've got the challenges of all the navigation. However, you pay for the convenience, right, of having hiring something out abroad. But it can be very difficult sometimes if you're going to remote areas or areas of society that aren't so um, accessibility savvy, let's say, it can be really challenging to get equipment. Um, and often it's very specialist organisations that can get stuff like that to specific areas. And again, that comes with a cost. So I think what we need to be doing is trying to drive more accessibility awareness with you know, these hotel chains, making sure they have better connections with, you know, accessibility areas within their region so that if people like me want to be able to travel, it can just be pulled in much easier rather than me having to kind of divert off down another channel that's specifically accessibility focused. Why can't, you know, some of these larger organisations start understanding actually we've got a whole disabled community here that's worth a whopping amount of money billions globally um yeah. and why do they not want a piece of the pie and actually it's very easy to facilitate they just need to be shown how do they do it and when they can realize if they do do it in the right way and efficiently not only are they going to improve their bottom line they're actually going to have a more diverse customer uh, you know they're going to have a more diverse customer portfolio yeah and i think there's some really interesting like chicken and egg stuff going on there right so um, you look at some of the conversations we've had about eagle lifts or, you know, um, Hoyer lifts, you know, things that are specific to improving the aviation experience or, um, you know, um, 
the experience in the hotel and we see conversations around oh we just don't have enough volume or enough demand and it's like okay well do you not have demand because you don't offer those and it's it's not inclusive or easy um, or is that market just not there? And, you know, from from the work that we're doing with the Valuable 500 and a lot of the data sets, we know, you know, there's 1.3 billion people living with um, some form of disability. Um, we also know that when people travel, they travel with their families, right? Um, so this is this is speaking to the kind of the leisure side of the business and leisure travel. We also know, um, you know, there's obviously a massive market for business travel. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of chicken and egg um, stuff going on there. Um, but I think there are some very elegant and simple solutions to that, right? When And this kind of gets to, I guess, some of the, the conversations in our industry right now of taking um, an ecosystem leadership perspective of, um, you know, how do we how do we work this together, right? Um, so is it beyond a tourism board to um, fund you know, having, uh, you know, a handful or more um, Hoyer lifts accessible that they can loan out or rent out or whatever to the hotels when they have um, a person with a disability checking in, right? Um, so those are simple things that we can do. And when we see, um, you know, the full ecosystem firing on all cylinders and working together, I think that's where the really significant change happens. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's one area that we need to, to, to be working on um, and it, it will drive a lot of benefit um, globally with an ecosystem that operates like that. But I think the other part that, you know, is really the, the, the key part in all of this, I think, is information and communication. Um, they're probably the two most important drivers when it comes to good customer service when it, you know, just generally good customer service. I, I gave an example to Rhiannon uh, not so long ago. If you look at kind of um, first class service, um, apart from, you know, um, maybe having somebody wait on your shoulders or, you know, to help you around your hotel room and kind of, you know, when do you want breakfast and stuff like that. Actually, what they do before you arrive is they understand who you are what do you like how do you like to be treated what time do you get up in the morning and all this sort of stuff they have all of this information and what does that information enable them to do it enables them to provide a world-class service but it doesn't cost any extra money to get that information you're just asking questions and using that information in a smart way to deliver a service that suits the needs of that customer and actually what we need to be doing is using information in the accessibility arena more so that we can drive customer service very quickly and efficiently. Um, and actually often, I think people see it as really difficult to do, but actually sometimes it could be really simple, short bits of information that you can digest, whether it be a visual diagram, logo, it might be a paragraph about you know, what support somebody might need at, at a particular time. And that will enable um, the venue or the service that's providing that support to do it in a much more efficient way. So actually, I think there's a lot to learn from the way in which things are done in kind of the, you know, the first class, you know, the more luxury side of area that we can replicate, you know, um, in other areas. There's a lot to learn there. Um, so I think information and communication is a, is a really, really big part. And when you look at some of the issues that I mentioned earlier around kind of booking a hotel um, you know, trying to ascertain whether or not my wheelchair or my shower chair would be able to, you know, get in a door, get on the aircraft and all this sort of stuff. 
actually, why aren't we using technology to do a lot of the thinking for me as a disabled traveler? Say, hey, Josh, um, you told me you've got this type of equipment. You told me you want to go to X, Y and Z region and you want to do these type of activities well josh here you go here's a list of areas that you can go that's going to be accessible you can go on this you can go you can fly with this airline and you can use this um taxi service that's going to completely suit your needs with all of the requirements you specified and all we're doing is we're just taking you know what organizations like expedia um and um not hotel.com um Oh God, I've forgotten the name now. Skyscanner, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Something really important there too, because autonomy is so important, right? Um, And so, you know, and I think I, I, I forgot about that conversation we had about kind of, you know, the five star, you know, hotels that you know make sure they know everything about that guest to to give an exceptional guest experience, and that gets back to going beyond. It's like that care beyond compliance type concept. Okay, great. You've you've complied. That's a bare minimum. What are you doing to provide an exceptional guest experience? And a correlate of that is autonomy and dignity, right? So not making a big deal um, about disabilities and allowing people to, you know, experience it on a level playing field um, as as others do, right? And so, yeah, Yeah, what you're saying is technology is a facilitator of that, right? 100% absolutely and I think organizations are switching on to the benefits of it now um, and we're starting to see more of an increase in that and it's fantastic but you know it's it's very simple you know the 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 community the disabled community and those that require additional support um, they're actually very easily pleased when things are done right and they're done simply and efficiently it doesn't need to be difficult that's I think often people see it is something difficult to achieve and deliver when actually it's not um, and sometimes you don't need all of the bells and whistles around information and communication all the time it's very good for those that have got specific sets of needs that require to share that additional information um, but ultimately it, it just doesn't need to be difficult and this is what this is what frustrates me when I see organizations just not just not listening um, it, yeah it's just very annoying yeah, so I think, you know, we've been on an interesting journey throughout the pandemic. I mean, pre-pandemic, the work that we did largely existed in the shadows, right? So, you know, for, you know, for 25 years, you know, auditing in hotels, it, you know, it, when we do our job right, it's, you know, it's proactive risk management. It's, um, you know, yes, us going and, and physically auditing the hotels, but that's not something that's overt or in the face of the end consumer. And I guess in my dream world, this, you know, this aligns with that as well, that it's not something that's a big deal. It's just well thought out. Um, and yes, there are, you know, there's the customer service element of it, but there's also the risk, right? Um, the considerations for risk that are is unique to the disabled community and how we engineer that out of the physical environment. Um, but I also think it's it's really important to look at digital accessibility and and again getting back to that full mapping of the customer experience. Um, you know, if a booking platform from the get go is not accessible, um, you know that's a big deal too, and you may have lost the customer at that part of the journey as well, right? Yeah, and I and I think one of the things I I touch on here, and the reason why sometimes things get lost in translation, and maybe one of the reasons why we're seeing this full end-to-end journey being so difficult is because actually the travel industry itself um, 
whilst it's connected, it's disconnected. Um, you know, you can hop on a train to get to an airport, but are the train providers and the airports really communicating around accessibility? It's almost like you've got one part doing some really great stuff and then the other part not doing such great stuff or doing it at such a quicker pace. Um, and actually the industry itself, the whole travel industry needs to be connected um, from a core component around accessibility so that everything's consistent. And actually, rather than looking at how do I get on a train and off a train, the train provider should be looking at how do I get on and off, how do I get on and off the train and what support do I need to get you know, to the next part of my journey, i.e. To, to the airport or, I, I mean, it just it just doesn't work at the moment. Um, that's probably not the best example. Um, so, but it, it kind of gets you thinking about if train, if train, if the train providers can talk with airports and airports can talk to hotels or not airport, sorry, if airports can speak with airlines and, um, you know, airports can then speak with transport providers. If everybody's talking and singing off the same hymn sheet and they all have an accessibility agenda, then actually maybe we might get somewhere. But, you know, it, it doesn't help when you've got one area doing something at a much quicker pace um, and another really slowing down. If somebody's, so for instance, if somebody's traveling from A to B and A is doing it really badly, but A is doing it really good, then you know that that full customer journey is just not going to work. And so we need to be making A and B at the same level. And how do we do that? Well, very, it's very difficult, but I think this is partly our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think, so you guys uh, produced some statistics on, you know, disabled mm -hmm. travel and the experience. And um, there was one that really stood out and I forget exactly what the percentage was, but it was a, a vast number of people that have just given up on flying. They've just stopped flying. Um, 49%. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Um, but also some some other really compelling statistics about, you know, damage to wheelchairs and, you know, just the things that people have experienced. So, um, yeah, I guess where if if we know that the value chain is broken, do you think that that's disproportionately happening in, I guess, in the, the flying experience or focused on aviation? Or do you do you think that it's, it's equal that there's breakdowns that happen across that, I guess, the, the chain? Um, I would say uh, it's a difficult one. I think a aviation it exposes people to more risk because of the inherent challenges uh, that are involved with that mode of transport. Um, and I think the the industry does get a hard time um, around you know some of the issues that crop up around chairs, for instance, and they are looking to address it. Um, but I, I, I still feel that going going forward in the in the you know the short to medium term, the problems are still going to be around, and people aren't going to necessarily want to travel so soon. And it's very hard to get an industry to understand those that aren't traveling at the moment. Um, they only a lot of them just look at kind of their forecasts and kind of based on historicals to kind of ascertain what the future may look like when they should be going out to their customers and understanding why they're not traveling. And it's not only until we did our survey um, that you start getting a whole host of information um, that, that the industry, I think deep down, they, they know the challenges are there. They just, they just kind of maybe sometimes just don't want to kind of see it. Um, and our data just kind of supports that evidence that um, 
the issue is real. And actually, if airlines were to understand and do more digging, they could actually see improvements on their bottom line. Um, and I think you would see a lot more, um, certainly wheelchair users, definitely flying by air in the future um, if they can start looking at some of the longer term solutions that this community is crying out for. Um, and again, it just comes down to uh, listening and understanding your customer base. Um, but I think what's really difficult as well is that we're talking a very small section of travellers. Um, and I, it's hard for me to quantify this number. Um, but effectively, uh, if I try and do it for in, in simple terms, um, the overall PRM number, so PRMs are passengers with reduced mobility, um, and some of the, the recent data that we can see, um, if I give you some data in 2018, uh, there was 3.2 million PRM requests made across the UK, and that equated to around about 1% of overall passenger volume. So if you look at the PRM community, it's 3.2 million requests. Actually, that's quite a large number. But, you know, a subset of that are wheelchair passengers, and that only equates to around about 5 to 7%. And I genuinely believe that if the industry starts implementing proper solutions and listens to the problems that you know these types of passengers are facing, we could grow that five to seven percent to something like twenty to thirty percent. Um, but that um, then creates a, a lot of inherent issues, um, which I won't go into on this call. But you know, um, it, it just logistically for the airlines, it could cause a lot more problems if they've got a lot more wheelchair users flying on a flight. Um, and that could partly be one of the reasons um, why they're still scratching their heads. Wow, yeah, that's so interesting. I never thought about that. Um, so one thing that we're hearing in, in, I guess, in the communities that we're interfacing with and things yeah. is, is the importance of um, inclusive marketing. I was just wondering how you feel about that. So, you know, when you see yourself in the advertising and, you know, you you see yourself in the types of activities that you would actually want to, um, you know, participate in, like how how important do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, look, inclusive marketing is great. And I think when you see people that you can relate to on TV, um, you feel a connection and a presence and it's really, really important. And I think we, we see some organisations do it extremely well. Uh, and then we do some other organisations doing it really badly. Um, and sometimes it can be quite cringy sometimes. Um, and I find myself now saying, well, why isn't somebody with a, a disability in the advert? And actually what we what we sometimes forget is there could be. We, we, we forget that a lot of people have hidden disabilities as well, um, which aren't visual. And so you know, there might be someone in an advert that has a disability, you just don't know it. Um, so again, that's another big area that I think we need to open people's minds to that just because somebody in an advert, you know, it just if somebody's in an advert and they're in a wheelchair, that doesn't make that advert, you know, um, inclusive. Um, it, it, do you get what I mean? So you shouldn't have to see a wheelchair in an advert to say it's an inclusive advert, you know, so um, when people see an advert that doesn't have someone, they shouldn't be saying it's not inclusive because it could be, you just might not know it. Um, yeah. So it's just quite an, it's just an interesting dynamic. But um, no, I, I think overall we're seeing massive improvements towards inclusive marketing um, and I'm really grateful for it.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's super important. Um, and to be honest, that's been a real challenge in, you know, when we design our audit protocols, looking at accessibility in hotels, um, just making sure that we incorporate all those perspectives, because it is a really complex space with the spectrum of disabilities, both visible and invisible, um, you know, neurodiverse travelers, you know, all of these different things are, are super important. So um, I think I one of the hardest challenges yeah i think one of the hardest challenges is uh, the the disability space or the accessibility arena can be very very broad and if I, I i use this example for people so i have spinal muscular atrophy which is a muscular wastage condition and it has huge varying degrees of um physical need so somebody on uh, with say sma type one um would need a, a huge amount of additional support versus somebody like me with SMA type three. And so when you're trying to design something for someone with SMA, actually we could have huge range of differences in requirements. So that's just one specific type of disability. You've then got a whole range of different people with visual and you know visual or hearing impairments. And actually you go and ask their community and they will have such a broad range of different requirements. So how it's, I think it's just something that, you know, is so difficult to do is you can't, it's really hard to truly design something that is accessible for everybody. Um, but what you have to do is, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, take that 80, 20 rule that you can design pretty much make something inclusive for almost everyone and make it majority of you know accessible but there are going to be some people that just aren't going to be able to use maybe all of the facilities within say a hotel room um because you know how can you design something to fit everybody it's just really difficult and it's something that comes up a lot in some you know like training how can you how can you educate someone on say a specific disability um which has so many different versions of support and requirements um that you can expect that staff, for instance, to retain that information. So actually you have to gener generalize training, et cetera, around disability um, to cater for everyone. I think um, it's, it's just a really difficult area to do well. Yeah, and I think a lot of the roads lead back to universal design, right? And, and I think it does. Yeah. you see a lot of, um, you know, even just as a, a mum, you know, a mum uh, living in London, for example, you get to a tube station. Um, and I really noticed this when I had two kids, right? So I've got the, the stroller, or the pushchair, um, and, and then I've got my other kid. And it's like, you just have to stand there and wait until somebody comes and helps you. And there's literally no other option there. Um, so when we see um, a lot of the, the concepts of universal design applied and you see that, you know, that others benefit from it, it just it makes the case even more so. Right. Um, so anyways, I think, yeah, we, <laughs> I feel like we could talk about this forever, but I think these are all, you know, these are really important things that it's an ongoing discussion. And I've actually seen a lot, um, not just in regard to disability inclusion, but um, you know, di diversity inclusion initiatives and things, this this terminology that we use of an initiative, I think that gives an indicator that it's this kind of quick time bound thing that we're doing or a, a program. Um, and I think what's really clear in this space is that, you know, the amount of work to do, the complexity, um, this isn't an initiative, this is a system change that we're looking at. So, um, 
but anyways yeah I think I think we could go on forever but we should probably wrap up here right? sure I mean it's it's been a it's been a really interesting conversation and I think we only scratched the surface um of you know all of the details that go on underneath it's 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 you know I think our goal is to give people the understanding of what needs to be done and then you know support them with a framework that enables them to do that um so yeah I think that that's kind of my penny's worth in terms of where we're at you know with some of the challenges and what needs to be done going forward and for me it's information communication uh cultural you know cultural education uh and I think with those three combined you know with the kind of universal universal and inclusive design I think we could be going places and risk management don't forget <laughs> so, well I didn't want to steal your thunder you see yeah. and I knew I knew you'd want to get that in there yeah of course and data actually we both love data don't we data junkies data junkies yeah okay well thank you yeah. so much for the chat and um yeah I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up soon thank you both for being here if you're interested in learning more about accessibility and travel, please follow the links in the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe and rate us and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.